Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hello and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now, sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, but it all comes back to the industry. Now, I am still coming off of my magical trip to Israel, and since I was pretty hard hit by a second bout of COVID, I have really been taking care of myself and taking it super easy. But just because I have slowed down doesn't mean the DC region has. The people behind I'm Eddie Cano, say it three times fast, have opened up another restaurant, this one called Boca Al Lupa, and that is in Glover Park. Steve Solis is taking over the DC area with yet another concept. This one is called Pizza TBD. LA Transplant Pink Taco has opened its shell, ha ha ha, and uh, Aslan Beer Co. has opened up its first DC location. Now that's just a few of the spaces that have opened in the DC metro area just in the last week alone. For more on who's open and opening, go to the thelistareyouonit.com for every new opening, what the status of a new space is in coming soon, and of course, every food, wine, and hospitality event in the area. Now you do want to follow me at NYC C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And while my fabulous list team has been keeping Twitter and Facebook up and running, I do know that Instagram has been a little bleak lately. But now that my energy is back up, be prepared because it's about to come full force. Let's get on to today's show. Now, everybody wants to open up a restaurant. It looks so easy, but there's a reason that the restaurant failure rate is so high, an estimated 30% failure rate. So in other words, one in three restaurants won't survive their first year. Profit margins are notoriously low, staff turnover is incredibly high, and the financial and operational challenges ushered in by the pandemic aren't going away anytime soon. The needs of the DC restaurant and hospitality industry are large, on a regular basis, and the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, RAMW, is always there to support. Now with me today is Kathy Hollinger. She's the executive director. You know her because during the height of the pandemic, she joined me almost every other show to give people a status of what is happening. And I'm so grateful that she's back here today to talk about what is happening locally, the staff shortages, service fee, tipped wages. There's so much that the layperson needs to know and take in to truly be an educated diner. Of course, there's some exciting news as well. The Ramy Awards are back. Restaurant week for the summer is coming. So Kathy is going to fill us in on all that. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Well, so for those who are just joining us anew, let's just give everybody a quick 411 on what a local restaurant association does for a restaurant community. Sure. I mean, the, you know, I would say the ideal restaurant association anywhere around the country, whether you're regional or you're just specific to a um, particular city or state, your focus is to be an advocate 
for the market that you represent. So here in our area, in DC, Northern Virginia, suburban Maryland, we are an advocate for the small business restaurant operator because our market is about 96% independently owned and operated. Mm -hmm. So every issue that touches a restaurant owner from labor issues, their teams, permitting, regulations, um, openings, anything that impacts them, we are either trying to help them navigate to stay in compliance, or we are making sure that we are ahead of anything that is coming down the pike from a policy standpoint that may impact their bottom line as a small business owner. We also um, are always thinking about butts and seats programming. How are we driving a community, whether they are a visiting community or diners that live across the region to go and experience all that is wonderful about dining in that particular market. So REMW has been focused on that. But as you know, in the last two years, we were really focused on helping our industry navigate um, the pandemic and that really took priority daily, if not hourly, to make sure that people were able to keep their head above water at a time where there were so many unknowns. Yeah. And I mean, listen, we've talked about it at length of what uh, the restaurants had to do, every twist and turn they had to make to sort of keep their heads above water. And while I know a lot of restaurants did close, I'm still sort of fascinated by all the ones that stayed open. You know, I mean, if you go down 14th Street or walk over to the Navy Yard, I mean, it's bustling out there. Yeah, I am. I'm listen, that was a delightful surprise for me as well. I think we wanted to overestimate um, as we were thinking about closures during the pandemic. I think we fell short of that in a wonderful way. We probably are a little less than 20% closed when we were at one point forecasting 30% closures. Um, so that's, that is wonderful and hopeful. What I, what I do know is that based on all of what has happened um, with the pandemic, we are faring better than anywhere else in the country, slightly as a region and and definitely as a region though we can't say as a city but as a region and a lot of that is because of livable walkable communities the concentration of small businesses that are independently owned and operated the willingness and passion that diners have to support their industry so that is a high note and i think that is what gave our wonderful industry the energy and passion to move forward and kind of look at the light at the end of the tunnel which we are somewhat in right now at least as it relates to the pandemic not the impact of the pandemic but in terms of making our way through it i you know that's a really good point and i think that but there's a lot of changes that are going on out there you know when the pandemic first hit and you know we went through all these like calls to action right so one of the calls to action was the restaurant industry needs to change right we need to change the culture of the restaurant industry and you know it's a it is an incredible 
business to be a part of, you and I together have touted all the incredible ways that uh, people can be a part of the industry and go really from rags to riches, right? I mean, you always hear about the dishwasher who winds up owning, you know, seven restaurants or something like that. But there's a lot of changes that sort of needed to be made, right? Like uh, healthcare and uh, and other uh, necessities that maybe those who worked in the restaurant industry didn't have. How have you seen those kinds of changes take place and how is it evolving or is it evolving? Yes, it's so interesting. I would say that um, there are changes that are happening where an owner, a restaurant owner, really has no choice but to make the change. So that's, you know, that is hard to think of in terms of evolution. Evolution somewhat suggests like a willingness to make that change. Some of it is, I have no choice. I have to modify my menu because food costs are so high and I have to take a, you know, lobster roll off of a menu because I'm not going to pass on that charge to my diner and charge them for a $50 lobster roll. Like that's just an example, but it, it does change the dynamic of the food scene when you have restaurant X that is really, really well known for their incredible Wagyu beef burger, but they have to think about, does that make sense for me? And does it make sense for my diner? So you're seeing a lot of internal changes happening where diners may not be catching up yet, but as they go visit their restaurants, they're going to see, wait a minute, I come here because I usually get these three things and they're not on the menu. So there's a little bit of that, you know, confusion that will set in later. But then there's everything from workforce size to the kind of workforce to training. What's training look like now versus what was training in 2019? be honest, some days training are, can you walk to the front door? <laughs> because completely staff shortages are real. And you and I have talked about this, but you know, I think all that uh, goodwill that was initially towards the restaurants has gone out the window, right? And yeah. again, I think people uh, were so focused on, uh, you know, supporting restaurants and we support restaurants, but now we go in there and there's a little bit that that time has passed. We're paying full price. The prices are more expensive. And we know there's staffing shortages, but we don't understand why our dish isn't coming. Like that there's a there is a disconnect. There is a disconnect, Nick. And I think that um again, you and I dining together often, being the biggest supporters of our industry, you know, we see some of the inconsistencies that are really of no fault to anyone. It is just the reality of where we are as we come out of a pandemic, which some of it we knew. We knew that staffing and service were interconnected. We knew that that may happen. We didn't know how it would play out. We didn't know how the increase in costs across any industry with any product and any service, how that would really play out as we look at a menu or we are dining or making choices of frequency of dining. Mm -hmm. All of this is interconnected. And what I will say is that it will become more challenging before it gets better. And there will be a need for real reset in thinking about how do I really 
make sure as a restaurant owner, if I am one, that I am thinking about the model that's taking care of my people, that's creating a great experience, that is thinking about costs that are skyrocketing and thinking about labor, wage, service charge, whatever that model may be, um, which we see across the city and across the region. Some restaurants do have done, some did it during the pandemic and they kept it. Um, and some have to consider it as we go forward, knowing that there are other big policy issues coming down the pike that may force some of this versus working our way into it. Well, I think that's a good point. So, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a huge initiative, the tipped wage. It was very confusing. I'm still confused by it. Yeah. And I'm coming back. And I, I think, but when we go out now, lots of restaurants have a service fee and then you don't, and, and you know, listen, in Europe, you don't tip, right? There's a service charge. That's a service charge. That's the end of it. If you want to add $10 or whatever it is, you know, that's an American thing. But we are not used to not tipping and it's a cultural shift. So what is the service fee? How does it relate? How does it relate to the tipped wage concept? Because I don't understand how it all works together. Yeah, I think it's um, it is really confusing. And listen, if you are confused, Nikki, if I'm confused, then right. I'm confused. That's right. right. So I think what we are seeing. So just to be very clear, tips legally belong to the tipped employee. It belongs to the employee by law. Mm -hmm. Service charge belongs to the house or the owner, and they have the ability to do what they need to do with that service charge, to pay out, to do whatever they may need to do internally to think about compensation or fees or costs. Owners are very sensitive to the fact that tips belong to employees. So they like preserving a system where we don't wanna to touch the money coming in and giving it back to an employee. Tips belong to employees. The minute it turns into a service charge model, then the house is then responsible, taking on additional burden to think about how that money goes back out to their workforce internally. What is happening is there are, um, and yes, that was with Initiative 77 in 2018, I believe, if I'm going back right on the year, there was a public ballot initiative where voters in DC would vote yay or nay on initiative 77, which was really a targeted um, campaign by an outside organization coming into the city of Washington because we're a model city that they could use that and try to push it in other parts of the country to eliminate this tipped wage, which really is changing the entire compensation model for a restaurant. Um, operator. But the idea is that tipped employees have a tipped wage because they are getting paid tips and their collective is typically in DC much more than what the full minimum wage is. It's a very complex issue. It's layered with a narrative that is not fair for a voter to come in and vote yay or nay because there's so many unintended consequences. But the challenge is that in Washington, D.C., if there is a ballot initiative 
that the public is voting in, the likelihood is that it gets voted in. In 2018, tipped employees were mobilized to really push the public to understand that this industry did not want Initiative 77. And while 82 is doing the same thing, Nikki, which is what will be on the November ballot, the challenge really is that we have a very different workforce and capacity is very thin. And while operators and tipped employees are both in agreement that this is not the right thing at the right time, um, it is our second time around and it really could create changes like a one wage model for all restaurant employees and restaurants will have to impose a service charge where yes, it becomes confusing for the diner. Do I tip on top of a service charge or is this included of any gratuity that I may leave? Right. That's going to be the biggest challenge is the consumer education side of it. But that is what we would have to push. We'd have to push with the electeds that you have to fund an incredibly high touch public information campaign that helps diners in DC understand, hey, diners, things have changed in our industry. This is what you need to know as you're dining out. Um, So that is, you know, even as I explain it to you, Nikki, it is very complex and it's many layers of understanding that is not something that should be discussed on a ballot. It should be thought about constructively around a table with stakeholders, and it should be a national conversation, not an isolated market conversation. Well, I agree. And I also, it should be a national conversation, but also it applies differently to different restaurant models. I mean, restaurants are not a monolith, right? Uh, A mom and pop versus a fine dining Michelin starred restaurant are working under different constructs altogether. So, um, yeah, it is uh, really complex. And, I, you know, there are the, the, uh, the diner who, you know, loves the restaurants and wants to applaud the restaurants and really wants to do what they can to, um, to uh, you know, to make it a great experience for themselves. And then you've got people who go out to eat and they're like, I'm paying money for this. I don't care. Like, they have no... They have no empathy. They don't, they have no, they don't care about the restaurant. They don't care about the workers. So like I provide a service, you know, this is how it works. I, it, I struggle with people like that, but that's, that's what's happening out there. That's what's happening. And then I, I think we also have to think about this entire to go curbside pickup model delivery model where, you know, you are calling in your food on a Friday night because you want to stay in and you pick up. And there is now no distinction between a delivery fee and gratuity. And I I don't, you know, I remember growing up, a delivery fee was a, it it was gratuity in some sense, but everything now, whether you're picking up your coffee, picking up a sandwich to go, picking up, and I'm talking more about picking up versus third party platforms. Everything is tipped. Everything. Everything is tipped. Everything. That was pre-pandemic too. I mean, I think with the launch of new payment systems, right, like Square or whatever, you know, I remember going to like a coffee shop and ordering a tea. I mean, it happens every time now, but I remember the first time and it was like, 
do you want to leave a 20% tip? And I was like, off of my tea? I was like, yeah. I mean, so I bought a $4 tea and now it's $5. Like, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. But now you're supposed to tip on everything. And uh, there will be a backlash because that that should not be an absolute. And if you're standing there with the person who gave you your hot water and tea bag and they're like, how much tip do you want to leave? You're not, I mean, I'm not not going to leave a tip. I would leave a tip anyway, but I could see people starting to get oppositional about it. And Completely. Like, it's un it's an unsustainable model. Um, or, or you're, you know, you start considering the discretionary, you know, personal budget and spend in all areas, right? You know, you, you can incorporate it in how you think about, you know, I'm usually going to get coffee or go to this cafe to pick up my tea. I usually do that three to four times a week. I'll do that once a week. I mean, these are the unintended consequences of all of these challenges as we're coming out of a pandemic and we're thinking about how we really are recovering as an industry in a way that numbers look more like 2019. I think that practices, philosophical thinking, all of that, there are, th not, there are things we should never go back to in 2019, but in terms of numbers and being whole, we are not, we are definitely not there. I mean, we are 75% in terms of staffing levels. 75% in terms of revenue coming in compared to 2019. I mean, they're all interconnected. The reason that people are only 75% is because their staffing levels are 75%, which means they can't really accommodate a full house the way that they once did in 2019. So there's so much that needs to be considered. And there is some good thought leadership out there to, to think about how we move forward. But it is very challenging when the world around us is so crazy and we are just trying to keep up emotionally, mentally, materially, physically. Um, there's a lot. So again, it's going to be a little bit more challenging before it gets better, but I'm very hopeful it, it gets better. And as we drive around the region, people want to be out. People want to eat out. They are still spending. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think, you know, it's summertime and we're going into fall and we have to, there's going to be possibly a different mindset, but nowhere near the mindset that we were in fall of 2020. 20 is yeah. that right yeah no i mean the waves you know keep coming i listen we're living with covid now you and i both know that i mean we both had it i've had it twice That's right we've i've heard restaurants had to shut down because you know everybody in the kitchen had it and people were you know they shut it down for a couple of days and then they opened back up again i mean this is That's right normal but i do think it's really important you bring up a really good point it is really important for the layperson for the diner to know that when they go into a restaurant and they say we can't seat you and half the restaurant is empty it's because they can't serve you it's because they don't have the staff or they don't have enough people in the back of the house like there's a lot of things that people and honestly i think a lot of it is training and communication people have to start saying to the customer we're short-staffed that's right. I will tell you, Nick, it's so important. And it was, you probably remember this from all the COVID communication 
we did as an association, but there was so much we had to push out. And while we absolutely needed to tell our own industry of operators, as you are working your way through all of this, try to just be kind, be kind to people, be kind to yourselves. But listen, now that's external facing. Consumers, diners, please be kind. Understand that when you see, yes, 20 tables that are open, it's not because they're just open and they're not seating you. <laughs> it's because they have no one that will be serving you and they are only operating one part of the dining room. But I, but I will say that it is never too late and we need more of it of the Be Kind campaign as this industry is staffing up. As businesses retail, you walk in. Yes, you have to wait longer. Grocery stores, you have to wait longer. There will be lines, which is why I mentally prepare going to the grocery store. I always tell my family, I'm going and I'm taking my time because otherwise there's no, I'm going to do this real quick, knock this out, go to three different, no. I'm going and it may be several hours and I will be kind to myself as I know I have to be kind to those who are working there. No, I think that's um, incredible, incredible advice. And it's people do have to remember it. It's not always easy. Yes. Uh, you know, it's not always easy, but it, it is a very important point. OK, let's get to some of the happy news because Please, let's do that. <laughs> before we get to the Rammies, which I'm really excited about. Restaurant Week was just announced. Yes. What are the dates? So restaurant week, yes, it has been announced. We're so happy and grateful that we're able to offer the promotion again this summer. We are August 15th through August 21st. And you see that my dog is chiming in to all of the great talking points here. Um, but again, you know, it's participating restaurants are going to offer their multi-course brunch and lunch menus at $25 per person, and then multi-course dinner menus for $40 or $55 per person for on-premise dining. It, it, it's we do have restaurants who are going to offer the restaurant week to go dinner meals and cocktail pairings similar to what we did and pushed a lot during COVID. Um, but we are really trying to push people back on premise to be able to experience restaurant week in the restaurant this and cycle. Restaurants want that as well. I mean, I, yes, you know, but I do appreciate listen, I appreciate the change in the system. And I think there are people who maybe would not participate in restaurant week. They didn't want to go in. It's too busy. COVID, not COVID. So now it is another opportunity for the restaurants if they can handle it to be able to. Offer. Absolutely. And I think, Nikki, what is important for, for diners to recognize is that these prices are very much, given everything we talked about earlier, a incredible deal to get out and to be able to try these great restaurants, try great menus that are being offered during the promotion, because that price point every day is rising. And we've had restaurants who are struggling a little bit with, will I be able to offer this promotion at this price point, given costs are so high? So I encourage all diners, if they can map out their journey of where they want to eat and what they want to do, 
to look at our offerings and plan it out for that week in August because we have so many who are signed on already. But by the time the promotion hits, it'll probably be over 225 as it usually is during the summer cycle. Which is amazing. And, I, and you know, it used to be summer in D.C. by July 4th, it was dead. But that is so not the case anymore. Like nothing open. There were no parties. There was a, my the calendar on the list. Are you on it? Com used to be empty. We used to shut down in August because there was nothing happening. And now, um, so not the case at all. Um, you know, everything is going on all the time. Okay, so quickly, let's get into the Rammies. Yeah. Now, is this tremendous award ceremony. I'm a part of it every year. I love it so much. Um, and it's not just for the industry. I mean, this is an event that restaurant lovers can come to as well. So give us the whole 411 on it. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is that we um, we have more and more consumers who are emailing, reaching out because they want to they want to know how they can come to this event as they are incredible foodies or have followed this industry over a decade or two as it has grown and evolved. So they want to be in the room where all of the chefs and the restaurateurs are. So this is absolutely a, a marquee event um, in our region. But honestly, Nikki, I would say really in the country as other states and, and cities are coming to this year's Rammies to be able to replicate this effort in their state um, or city, which I think is fantastic. I mean, if we could have generated some kind of model where we... <laughs> I agree. I mean, I know, you know, we sort of live in a bubble in the D.C. area of this event and and the importance of R.A.M.W. in this culture here. You right. know, it's not it not just the um, not just the the restaurateur. I, uh, diners know about R.A.M.W. That's what I always find so fascinating. And I I know it's not the same in other cities. So I would assume that a lot of other similar associations across the country are like, how do you do it? How do we do it? I'm completely. Sure. And yeah. that is actually wonderful. It speaks to the it speaks to the character of community in terms of how close knit the community is, whether you are industry or not. You know, we are small enough as a region for people to pay attention, definitely on the event side to what kind of events are happening that could be of interest across any industry or sector. Let me just um, back up because if you remember, we announced our 2022 Rammy finalists um, at the Hamilton Live in April, and there are 22 award categories. So the winners are gonna be announced at this event at the Rammies on Sunday, July 24th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center. And while, yes, it is a wonderful occasion to shine light on those winners and the finalists, it's really a night always for our industry to be able to just check out for a few hours, get as dressed up as they want to be, walk the red carpet, celebrate themselves, the accomplishments of the industry and their teams, particularly now coming off of the last two years. And knowing that we can go back to this 2019 model of, yes, the dance floor is back, 
Yes, all the food stations are back. All the beverage stations are all throughout that building. It is really promised to be a fabulous event this year, but also much more of a reunion than what we have had over the last several years. And that is what I think everybody is looking for, um, while also being sensitive to some of the pre-pandemic categories that should have stayed in place that took place in 2021. We are really excited to welcome back categories like Chef of the Year, Restaurateur of the Year, Pastry Chef of the Year, Service Program of the Year, um, because those were definitely categories that diners, industry, restaurateurs were always um, excited to hear about as they come to this event. Well, not only that, not that just that they were excited about if they won, they couldn't tell people about it. And even still to this day, if somebody is Whammy nominated, it is an accolade that they tout, which I think is important. I think that speaks volumes. Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty. So the event is on July 24th, Sunday, July 24th. It's an evening event. It is a creative black tie affair. Most people black tie and dressed up and talk about some of the like parts of the party like how's the program working this year because last year it was kind of sit down the whole time because of covid so how will it be enacted this year how will it be different yes so the difference will be that um again time frame is the same Mm -hmm. event starts at 5 p.m it goes all the way through 11 p.m 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. is an opening reception, um, a fantastic red carpet opening reception. And 6 p.m., the awards program starts where it's a seated awards program, but the space is much more uh, condensed in terms of using and utilizing that building, which are elements we pulled from 2021. But awards program is six to seven. 7 to 11 is the party and celebration where we will have an opening DJ. Dance floor, as I said, will be back. And then we have a headliner. Um, Oh, a headliner. Who is uh, it? I mean, listen, if you don't know, you don't know, Nick. It's it's a globally known um, DJ trio, Cash Cash who uh, it's through a partnership with Echo Stage. We're really, really excited. That's good. And I've done all my research on Cash Cash because I would challenge you to ask if you knew Cash Cash. (laughs) My team did. My team did. Um, I'm not sure if my 15-year-old did, but I, I will tell you that we are so excited. Echo Stage is bringing all their talent, all their glory really focused on creating a great celebration. So we're really exciting. This is the type of celebration I think that many have been wanting and waiting for. Um, And if you remember last year, yes, the format was really different. Everybody had to be masked and seated to be able to have drink or food. And while there were some elements that were really nice about being seated and having a captive audience, particularly for those being honored, I think what was really missing was this fluid being able to experience all that was happening with beverage and food and dance floor and music. 
um, which is coming back this year, which you will see. You'll see it on the food and drink side with champagne bars. You'll see it with a tantalizing oyster bar by Congressional Seafood, which is always so fun. And then cocktails and mocktails, mocktails, which is will be a very big focus this year from partners um, like renowned DC cocktail bar, Silver Lion, Campari, Jameson, Bacardi. So we're really excited. We have some of our partners like Embassy of Japan coming back. This will be a mapped out, Nikki, note that mapped out, very- no, so everybody knows where everything is ahead of time. So you can plan your path of food and drink. And uh, Nick, that was great feedback from you because we, we want people to know how to navigate the room because it is easy to go into a great space, but you're like, I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure what to eat, but I know there's a poke bar and I know that I want to get my poke. <laughs> right. Totally, completely with you. Okay, Kath, so last uh, ditch effort, just tell everybody where they can buy tickets, where they could stay up to date on uh, restaurant week, and also all the stuff we talked about today, like tip wage and stuff like that. Do you guys have a, a resource for all that that people can go to? Oh, always, yes. I mean, first, let's just talk about the, the Rammies. For more information on the Rammy Awards event, logistics categories, um, eligibility requirements. If you want to know all those details, you can go to the Rammies.org to get more information. Everything is listed there. Um, but also with restaurant week, with policy issues, with industry landscape issues, RAMW.org, you will be navigated to be able to pull any information you need and want. It is always updated on our website. Um, and also, we are always happy to help. If there is an interest to call the RMW team to get a little bit more info, we are all there and ready to serve and provide additional information. Excellent. Kathy, tell every where you can find everybody, uh, where everybody can find you guys on Instagram, because you are prolific on Instagram with great information uh, and news about the industry as well. Yeah, so I will tell you that um, you can go to at R-A-M-W for our Instagram feed, but also all of our um, addresses are on ramw.org. Immediately when you go to the website, it will direct you as you click and go. Excellent. All right, Kathy Hollinger, Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Nick. Well, it's always a pleasure to have Kathy Hollinger on the show. You know, a lot of us consider ourselves restaurant advocates or foodies or we just love the industry but it's hard out there and unless you've owned a restaurant before or you're a part of the industry you really have no idea what it takes to make your business not just survive but thrive and as we talked about you know there's this whole tip thing and service fees and staffing shortages and supply shortages so as Kathy said it's really important for everybody to remain kind out there remember the restaurant wants you to have a good experience because if you have a good experience not only you're going to tell people but you're going to come back right 
So that's the goal. Always keep that in the back of your head. Uh, don't forget about the Rammies. I'm going to be there. I'm presenting as I do every year. I cannot wait. I still haven't gotten a dress. Um, but if you're going to the Rammies, text me or email me and let me know. So I want to thank everybody for uh, joining me today to, on Industry Night. Uh, we always talk about such interesting things on the show. It's stuff I'm interested in, and I'm glad you're here today because that means you're interested too. So uh, COVID is rampant, people, but we're dealing with it. So wear a mask if you're asked. Take a kindness pill when you go out to retail or restaurants or just in your daily lives. It's tough out there right now for a variety of reasons. And if you can keep your kindness high, uh, it will be shared to everyone. So uh, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, go to the list, are you on? Onnit.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything happening in the D.C. metro area. Tune in on Sunday. David and I am back on Foodie and the Beast. Uh, that's Sunday at 11 on 1500. Thanks for joining me again today, and have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.